The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right world view. And acting upon it. with Pastor Monty, a show two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lathia Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRM. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I'm Pastor Monty, and I'm sitting here at the uh, table with Pastor Josh, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week and we were in the book of Colossians in chapter one and uh, we're looking at that in the Christ factor. Now we kind of ended our discussion last week with just a reminder of what the Apostle Paul was doing and the topic at hand in regard to Gnosticism in, in establishing, the Apostle Paul is establishing several things. One thing that he seeks to establish is that uh, Jesus Christ is the uh, firstborn um, from the dead. We talked about that. He elaborates even more in the book of Romans in regard to that, saying that Jesus Christ is the second Adam. But then he says this, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Now, just let me stop there for a second and and, uh, and talk a little bit about something that's going on right now in, in, in our culture as well as in our um, in what's happening with uh, the sciences and, and uh, things going on. So uh, back when I was a young man, um, I had an opportunity to listen to uh, Dr. Martin, uh, Walter Martin, uh, when I lived in Hawaii. And... Um, Dr. Walter Martin, for those of you who don't know, um, what is uh, you know the cults? Is, yeah, right? he's uh, okay. he's he was a premier uh, a col- uh, He was a premier um, apologist. Yeah, uh, basically, and and if you wanted to know anything about the uh, the pseudo Christian cults and the world of the cults, uh, his book was like the the uh, the Bible for a go to. And uh, I had an opportunity to go listen to him speak there while I was in Hawaii. And one of the things that he brought up, interestingly enough, one of the things that he brought up was the subject of UFOs. Hmm. And he talked a little bit about um, some of the things that were going on, even 
Now, I'm dating myself, but that was back in the, the late 70s, so or mid-70s. So, so he was talking even then about this issue of UFOs and things are going on. And I don't want to digress too far, but just to say that if you're watching the news today, if you're on top of what's going on, you well, if you if you get cable TV at all, you know that there are several programs out there that are dedicated uh, primarily to the issue of discussing various uh, alien phenomena uh, that or things that are uh, unexplained. And uh, the the United States military has finally um, finally come to the point. To where they're ha- because of the the technology available, they're finally coming to the point where they're having to recognize that there are just things f- going on uh, around us that we have no explanation for, whether it be uh, unidentified flying objects or uniden- unidentified submersible objects, and uh, these are things that have been captured on on uh, the radar and on camera. Uh, from planes as they're doing patrols and what have you. So um, I find, with that in mind then, I find uh, Dr. Martin's approach as well as uh, my own understanding of this, Jesus Christ has has a supremacy in all things, in all things. And if it comes to be somehow that... that, uh, um, this this uh, fascination with uh, aliens uh, somehow becomes more prominent in our future. As believers, we need to recognize that this is uh, this is not nothing new. Um, if you go back into the book of Israel, uh, Ezekiel, and you go back into a couple other books where it talks about uh, phenomena of angels and and what have you. Um, you know, it, it brings up questions about, well, okay, and even if you look at the history of man and how some things are built during different periods, y- you see these types of things. And, and the, said, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that Jesus Christ is supreme in all things. And as believers, I think we need to, listen, either the Word of God is accurate and in, in what it states can be stood upon as accurate and therefore can be trusted, or or it's not. And it clearly states here that Jesus Christ is supreme in all things, and that includes this uh, side subject as well, that regardless of what we find out with aliens and what have you, uh, even, even those elements are going to be subject to his supremacy. Uh, I know it's an odd side note, but th- these are things that are happening around us. Well, there's there's a lot of push to undermine that, even in like media and pop culture like i'm thinking back did you i know you're not big on the alien franchise right no no but did you ever see the uh it was supposed to be the big return of the original director uh ridley scott and it's called um prometheus i think i've i think i heard of it okay so in prometheus spoiler alert for for the alien mythology not that anybody cares but um, in Prometheus, it's discovered that the aliens have sent out like uh, messengers in the past, and we—it's like all but spelled out that we like killed their main messenger. Okay. And so they have decided that like everybody's like a plague 
because right. of that, and so they're like going to wipe out humanity. Humanity, yeah. But yeah. um, yeah, there. So there, that's like there's a there's a science fiction theology that is built in the idea that like man was seated and Christ right. maybe is essentially seated, not seated, um, and that man is and that Christ is essentially like a a, a benevolent space alien. Um, and it goes back to, if you want to talk about pseudo Christian cults, like you can, you can find that in, uh, what is it? Cobol? Is it called Cobol? The, mm-hmm. the Mormon, the right. Mormon theology, right. that, you know, he was the God of his own planet right. And, right, exactly. or that Christ is the God, that Jesus is the God of this planet. Right. And then that, uh, uh, Elohim is the which is uh, the father. Who's the father God? And he's the god of his own planet. And Co- called Cobalt. Lucifer is is the god of his own planet. Yes, trying okay. to be the god of his trying own planet. Yeah. yeah, and and so there's this like sort of like ad infinite, um, you know, uh, concept that it like the further out you go, the more you get like more and more and more gods. But Pastor Monty's point is that this verse in particular like precludes that this verse in particular sets itself against that so i think the practical application if you can call there a practical application to the science fiction of this of this particular <laughs> discussion is if aliens were to arrive today and be like hey the universe is bigger than you thought then we couldn't just accept that um that the universe is bigger than we thought without accepting that that the gospel for instance would need to be shared with them yeah yeah uh, absolutely you know an intelligent race th- the gospel would be for them as well and you can get into questions like what if they come from a planet where people never sinned but my simple response to that would be um then they would recognize Christ as god yeah, the uh, and and for you know f- um, when you look at uh, Josh alludes to the the seeding of of the earth with uh, mankind as you look at um, uh, Darwin's theory of evolution and and uh, that has been thoroughly de- from a scientific standpoint has been thoroughly discredited on so many levels. Uh, many turn away from Darwin's theory of evolution in dealing with origins in regard to man and turn to this alien theory stuff where, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, we're talking uh, the pyramids and and all kinds of stuff are attributed, uh, the uh, the Anges Mountains and, and all kinds of things are, are uh, attributed to how it is that we came to be. Because after all, what are those three great questions, right? Yeah. So... So um, origins is an important subject, but th- clearly this is one of those things. And here, the scripture is very clear that it, regardless of how it presents itself, we need to be very clear in our understanding that as far as scripture is concerned, Jesus Christ is uh, supreme in all of these things, and all are subject to his authority. Well, and it, and it goes, we can take it out of the realm of aliens, too. The big discussion now is about uh, multiple realities based upon um, quantum theory, right? And the same thing is true. Like, Christ is the god of all versions of reality, if that even is a thing. Quantum physics is now questioning that, apparently. 
um, the multiverse. Theory. Right, right, right. Um, but even if there were multiple realities, and really what it comes down to is if he is who he claims he is, then he must be who he claims he is. Yes. Right? And what he claims is overarching and complete in its reach. Yes, that, that, that's correct. And if and this is not the format to do that, so we won't delve into that. But Josh and I have dis- discussed before, and from a biblical standpoint, um, it's easy to make the case that we only have sight for certain things, and yet Scripture makes it very clear that uh, we live in a multidimensional world. And angels live all around us, and yet we're not able to perceive them. Um, yeah, it assumes it, yeah. Yeah, so so that is an answer to the many of the things in regard to these alien things. But I, we don't want to digress. Just to say that in all things, Jesus Christ reigns supreme. Now, the Apostle Paul, starting at verse 19, goes in and he, he says... Uh, you know, that it pleased, uh, for God was uh, pleased to have uh, all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his shed blood on the cross. So, And, and uh, then he goes on to say, for once we were alienated from God and were enemies uh, in your mind's because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the through death to present you holy to his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So the Apostle Paul gives a little tiny bit of a dissertation here in regard to again to the condition of men. In that in that uh, Jesus Christ, his purpose in coming was to provide a source of redemption for mankind, that we might, our, uh, our sins might be covered by his blood, and that when God looks at us, he only sees the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ's blood is the vehicle through which we are able to enter into the presence of God as those that are unblemished and righteous, not because of who we are, but because we are covered by the blood of Christ. Um, I'm not even sure I can come up with a, a good analogy. Um, maybe a, a cloak of invisibility would be. A very Harry Potter of you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that when. I mean, I guess Lord of the Rings had that too. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't Which a cloak was of invisibility. It was when he put the one ring on. Let's be clear. Yeah, yeah. When he put the ring on, then he became invisible. But but the idea. No, wait. Aragorn had a cloak of invisibility, right? Strider. Our producer Jasmine's <laughs> like <laughs> giving me like signals. Like, wait a second. Not sure. Not sure. Just popping. Oh wow, that's really loud. Uh, popping in there to say that the hobbits had special cloaks that made them look like rocks. She couldn't resist herself. Yeah. So so the point the point being is that um, you know we are. We are sinful individuals, and, and uh, we are able to be reconciled to God and enter back into his presence because of the work of Christ's blood shed on the cross of Calvary. Uh, and we are covered in that blood, and therefore we are, uh, God sees us not as sinful, but as righteous. 
that's an important thing to understand as believers, that we are no longer seen by God as sinful, but righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That then becomes the crux of how it is that we proceed forward uh, in our Christian walk, understanding that we can enter into the presence of God uh, because of uh, who we are in Christ. Yeah, and I just I want to add because this is really the emphasis of the passage is that there is a tangible reality to that because again this was written with a gnostic uh in in a gnostic culture, right? Right. And so there's this idea that that we can do this by attaining some sort of gnosis or some sort of like hidden knowledge. Right. And that's the work that we should be doing, but Paul is very clear that um, it's the physical death of Christ that resurrects a physical body. Right. Um, and that there's spiritual implications behind it and so on and so forth. But it's the whole package of a human being that's being dealt with here. Uh, so that's a really important facet of it. Okay, we're going to close um, this segment... Uh, with that thought, um, and we'll pick up on verse 21 uh, in uh, chapter 21, uh, <laughs> in chapter in one, chapter one yeah. of the book of Colossians next week. Let's uh, talk a little bit about um, relationships. Now, we've been um, talking a little bit about relationships, and we've covered relationships up to the point of the marriage relationships, and that's where we spent a lot of time last week just laying uh, foundation. And the foundation's important to lay uh, just for the understanding of the fact that this is, of all the relationships that uh, mankind can have, this is indeed, uh, aside from our relationship with God, this is the premier human relationship um, and probably one of the more complex. Now, one of my listeners pointed out last week. But not in the comment section. But not in the comment. But the, but the <laughs> listener pointed out to me that the relationship that exists, the bond, not the bond, but the the bond that exists between the child and the mother is not broken. It still exists even after the child has grown up. But my our, our, our point in discussing that last week was to make it understood that even though that is a important aspect of our relationships in the familial, um, um, that that relationship does not supersede the relationship that brought it into being to begin with. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to push back there. I know that, <laughs> I know that's not popular, but I'm going to push back and just ask where in scripture you find that listener. Um, because what I see in scripture is that when a person gets to a certain age, they are to leave and cleave. And that the term there for leave and cleave is a breaking. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's, it's butchering essentially. So I, I would just ask where in Scripture you find that. I think that there, 
I think that it's true that the bond between a mother and child, and, and I, I even alluded to this last week, I think that the bond between a mother and child is something that is um, sacred. I wouldn't necessarily call it holy, but it's sacred, and that the gravity of that weight is present after the leaving and cleaving process. But in terms of the station of in terms of the station of the mother to the child and what role she plays, uh, I don't think you can justify the position from scripture that it essentially stays the same. Well, I think I think it's a it's a heartfelt sentiment. Well, and I, I would even go back and say that uh, the difficulty in rearing children that's talked about in Genesis as part of the curse, yes, might be a, a factor in that. Again, not a not a not a point that people probably would like me to say, but no, no, no. I I agree. I agree one hundred percent with that. I'm just you know bringing up that. Uh, let's say that I we could have been a little more clear that we're not trying to uh, diminish the bond that exists between parent and child. We are simply saying that from a scriptural standpoint the relationship that exists between husband and wife in the familial, um, that is the family unit, uh, supersedes any relationship that comes after or through that relationship. That comes after, except, except for the relationship between that partner and God. Yeah, well, yes, and I stated that earlier. Yeah. But, but thanks for restating it so that somebody doesn't say... <laughs> Um, so <laughs> well, I think it's hard, it's hard enough in this generation. Uh, and again, from a counseling standpoint, this is what I run into: is people putting their everything into their children, in the sense of uh, shifting their focus to their children and yes. making their child their spouse. Yeah, you know, in some cases, yes, yes. And if you and now again, I know I'm dating myself, but I I think I alluded to this last time. If you read, if you have read either uh, Ann Landers or Dear Abby or any of those advice column types which are out there, people really have. This is a a an issue that people really wrestle with. Yeah. Particularly for parents that they have done everything that they can to bring up their children. Uh, what we would call in society uh, correctly, and the child turns out to completely reject that yeah. and goes a different way. And uh, the mothers would write in and are just heartbroken over, you know, over that, and it can be a devastating thing for their lives. So just clarifying that that the according to scripture, the premier relationship uh, outside of our relationship with God that exists is to be that relationship that exists between husband and wife. Now that yeah. can be a complicated relationship. It, it, it's complicated by, by several factors and I would just allude back to some of them and then we'll move forward from there. But, okay. but remember we have the, the ideal from the ideal uh, scenario is that you have an, uh, an individual, uh, Pick or choose, I don't care. But you you have an individual who supposedly has their act together uh, before God huh. and is socially well-adjusted. I'm just I'm looking at the comment <laughs> section, which just... Is uh, it going crazy? Well, yeah. it's one person commenting yeah. with uh, four different scripture passages. Okay, good, good for uh, that person. 
Um, I'm going to start looking them up. Okay, Go ahead. let me make my point, and we'll come back to this, uh, because this is what we want is interaction with our, our listeners. So um, the ideal is is that this individual is, uh, is right with God, that they're well-adjusted, and that they recognize that uh, they have uh, a desire to, to uh, find somebody to share life with. And so what do they look for? Well, they look for somebody who um, has their life right with God and is well-adjusted <laughs> and looks forward to the same relationship. Um, that's the ideal. And, then, and so what happens is those two individuals come together as husband and wife, and they now develop uh, a relationship between them as a couple and between God and move forward in order to procreate children so that they can uh, uh, help children uh, grow into be well-adjusted uh, individuals and society perpetuates itself. That's the ideal. <laughs> that, is, that, that is not what happens. That is not what happens. What happens is, is you have individuals that normally are brought up in family situations where their relationships with their, their parents as well as their siblings um, cause them to be maladjusted in how it is that they uh, function uh, within a real life capacity. And their relationship with God uh, may or may not be um, uh, existent and or is uh, oftentimes in its infancy uh, in, uh, in where they are at. And so when these two individuals uh, come together and become husband and wife, they are faced with a multitude of issues that have to be worked out uh, in order for them to have a healthy relationship. All right, well, we're getting pushed back in the comment thread. Uh, let's see. It's just a few passages, Isaiah 66, 13, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. Um, let's see, Deuteronomy 32, Hosea 12a, Matthew 23, all like the mother hen analogy. And the comment is God's description and nature of his love as a mother hen, an eagle and a bear, different in husband and wife. Not germane to our discussion. Yeah, I would agree. That That is... Uh, you can't just pull scriptures out and throw them at us. So that's called proof texting. <laughs> and it's not it's not proper exegesis. That's right. That's called eisegeting scripture yes. to prove a point. And the point that's actually... <laughs> I mean, for, first of all, we could do that with anything, right? We could say because the scripture... Um, well, people do it all the time. You You call yourself gods, for instance, in Psalms, right? And uh, Christ actually uses that against the Pharisees. So, like, we've got to be careful about that. But secondly, the husband and wife relationship is the relationship that the church is to have. It's what the church can attain. It's why Christ calls us the bride of Christ, right? Right. Our adoption into our relationship with God the Father is something that he gives to us, but it's not something that we can attain, so when we're having this conversation about who the church is supposed to be, the church is supposed to be sons and daughters of God, not, uh, not fathers and mothers um, of, you know, of the, of the other church or yeah, of, the, the children, the, right. of the children. Yeah. But then it's supposed to be husband and wife, which is what we can attain. 
So that it's really not germane. It's apples and oranges. We're not saying, and uh, let me also just point out that the relationship there is an adoptive relationship. So it's uh, like it's not even natural to us to um, to be. Uh, if you're going to take the example of how God is like a father or a mother to um, Israel, which is really what it's talking about, and there's an issue too. Um, you can't really talk about it from that standpoint because he's an adoptive father, which isn't the same thing as you know his relationship with Christ, which we're right. not capable of of emulating. There's so many reasons why that is eisegeting and not exegeting. Right, and and we say that with lots of love, but yes, but the most love. Yes, but the <laughs> but the re the reality is is we we need to be careful that when we look at God's word. We make sure that we have things uh, understood within the priority of what God's word says. And we understand that we can be as, like, we should be good parents, for instance, to our children. And we can look to God as an example. But that's not what we're talking about here. And we're also not talking about the, we're, what we're talking about is what we as Christians can, like, work toward. Right. Which is being a good wife. You know, and a good uh, husband. Yeah, in the submission structure. Yes. So, so thank, but thank you for your comments and thank you for participating because that's that's what we want to have open discussion. Now, uh, so the feel free to use scripture to to you know to continue to use scripture. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so the the important thing to establish here is that. Uh, the ideal exists, and we go from Scripture to understand what the ideal is, but the reality of the world in which we live in, and, and this is whether you are churched or not, the reality of the world in which we live in is that when do the relationship uh, that they're going to have between a husband and a wife, uh, they bring all this baggage mm -hmm. with them. And the situation is... Uh, is is far from ideal. Now we won't. Uh, I mean, we won't go into the depths of marriage counseling. But I would just say that when we when we do marriage premarital counseling, one of the things that I talk about is the fact that that uh, people get married for a multitude of reasons. There are like ten or twelve different reasons why major reasons why people get married. And then and any infinite number of sub reasons underneath that. Yeah, absolutely. So so it's not it's not a pure thing. And that's one of the reasons why I won't marry somebody. Uh, you know, I won't marry a couple unless they've gone through about 25 hours of counseling. You with, won't with officiate. And, yeah, and, yeah, I won't officiate. Well, marry, you know, I married these people. Well, I know you're not going to be polygamous, but. No, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just yes. specifying, officiate. That's fine, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, I, whatever. I, I got you, I got you. So, yeah, no, I won't officiate a, a wedding unless, you know, you spend uh, you and your and your uh, spouse to be spend about twenty five hours of counseling with us, because because it is so complicated. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I, agree. I know I, I know you use a little bit different format, but I know you still require counseling. And I do require counseling. I actually require, I think, more because what yeah. I require is a person to go through. The learning process, which I actually offer Pastor Monty as uh, a means to do that. So I, it, I, they have to go through a learning process. They also have to get a buddy system going on where they have to commit 
to uh, another couple that's older than them that they can learn from, and they have to, yeah. and then they have to meet with me and my wife, and we talk about um, I- issues of of uh, common contention, and they yeah. have to do four sessions of that where we talk about you know the what ifs of the conversation that oftentimes only come up. Uh, later on in marriage. Right after you're married. How do you handle this situation? How do you handle this yeah. situation? We talk about the topics of uh, <laughs> everything from in-laws to vacations to uh, where you put your money to w- what, you know, your children are going to go into school like and yeah. what that looks like. So, yeah, it's it's I I also have a pretty rigorous standard. Yeah, okay, good. So, so and the reason for that, as I said, is because I- because being the premier relationship, nobody that I know of, I don't know of anybody, even the most well-meaning uh, two, two people entering into that relationship do not come with a clean slate. And there is some baggage which is there which you then have to work through in order to begin to establish the parameters of what will allow you to have a successful uh, relationship. Well, let's be clear. When we talk about clean slate, um, there's this thing in Christian culture that is simply virginity. And it really isn't. Uh, And there's a lie that's sort of perpetrated in Christian culture uh, that says, you know, if you go into the relationship and you've kept yourself virginal, then you're going to have the greatest sex in the world when you get married. You're going to have no problems whatsoever. You are going to, you know, you're going to pop out 2.5 kids and like, <laughs> you know, live the life that you're supposed to. Yeah. And the yeah. truth is, is that that is not you are not entitled to that. And that's not what marriage is about. No. And being virginal is one aspect of a clean slate. There's a uh, and, and it's not even uh, th- that aspect is like that aspect is uh, <sighs> that aspect is a part of being uh, morally in relationship as you're supposed to as a Christian. But then there's other things that Pastor Monty is alluding to, like style. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing moral about the clothes that you wear. I mean, I suppose you could make it a moral issue, but (laughs) but there's nothing innately moral about the clothes that you wear, the way that you talk, the the food you eat, so on and so forth. And a lot of it is preferential. And it doesn't mean you're sinning against the other person because you come with preferences. But you would be surprised if you are an unmarried person, the level and the degree at which it stresses you out to not be able to conveniently slip into your habits at yeah. all times. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you just do something by rote because you've always done it that Which way. you've always done. And now you're going to be with somebody who is really annoyed by yeah. some little habit or peculiarity. Well, and, of, and, of course, they don't tell you that they're annoyed until much later yeah, on. Th- yeah, Because, yeah. you know, it's a thing that they thought would just go away when you get married and everything becomes rosy. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to leave this topic and pick it up uh, where we left off as we, as we get deeper into understanding the complexity of the marriage relationship next week. So Lucy Brown just wanted to add, she's commenting, uh, Lucy Brown just wanted to add, in all respect, all I am saying, I think all I was saying is probably what is meaning to be said there, is that wife and husband's bonding is different than that of a parent to a child, which we yes, 100% we, agree with. Yes, we agree 100%. It is lesser than... <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kicking the <laughs> kicking the can down the road. Thank you, Lucy. Yes. Oh, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna jump into uh, 
uh, our discussion uh, in regard to what we have on the table about uh, parenting, and particularly oh, here we uh, go. the state. Okay. We call the what do we call this section? Uh, what's it called, producer Jasmine? Oh, producer. What's your take? Oh, what's your this is what's your take? Yeah, this is our new uh, section. What's your take? It's all about bribery. Yeah. No, no music <laughs> for that. Okay. Okay. That was it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we we're, go. We're working on the music for it. Okay. So uh, thanks to uh, produ producer Tiffany for the uh, name. What's your take? Okay. So um, where we left off last week, remember we're having a discussion, which is here because it is in the news and it is certainly an issue, is uh, when you turn your children over to uh, the school system, we'll say for convenience the state, but really it's the school system because each school system is run separately. I mean, it's by the state. Okay. So, um, but for sake of discussion, we'll say the state. But when you turn your children over to the school system, um, have you negated your responsibility? That's the question. Have you negated your responsibility as a believer to undertake the task of um, of What uh, people are arguing right now is that they've turned their children mindlessly over to the state. And one good thing that's come out. Finding that this curriculum was clearly not biblical in any shape or form. So in that case, I would say yes you did turn your children over and were abdicating your responsibility. Okay. I, I mean, I, I would agree with that. Now... But, but no, I don't think that expressly, if you send your child to public school, that you're abdicating your, your authority or responsibility as a parent. But let's be clear, though the answer is no, that is frequently what it becomes and, and is how most people live, I would say. Yeah, I I can you since, since you participated in this, you you know that what I'm saying is accurate, but your mother and I had uh, the very real understanding that just because you went to public school didn't didn't mean that that negated our responsibility. Yeah. We had we had uh, meeting after meeting. Meeting after meeting. We had not only had meeting with the school that my my children's teachers uh, with some delight and some dread, um, hated our parent-teacher conferences because the f the the first thing that I did uh, when uh, when we had the parent-teacher conference was to uh, was to lay down what uh, you know what the rule was and how we were going to function as far as I was concerned. And uh, in my day, I, you know, I don't think it's been repealed. It's probably still in place, but there was in place uh, a, uh, a congressional law that, that's called the Hatch Act that was signed into law, which basically says that you cannot uh, do this, that, and the other thing. It's quite lengthy, actually, uh, unless uh, the parents are informed. 
And if you do any of these things, you then are in violation of the Hatch Act and could be sued and federal funds could be withheld. And I would simply point out, and I had a copy of the Hatch Act in every one of my children's files, and I would ask my children's teachers point blank, have you read this? Have you read this? Do you understand it? And do you have any questions? Yeah. It's the Hatch Act. Because I see something about the Hatch Act of 1887 that deals with the birth of a U.S. network of agricultural. No, no, no. This things. was by Orrin Hatch. Okay. Um, what type of name is Orrin Hatch? You know what that is? That's a, that's a Star Wars name. <laughs> Orrin Hatch. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Star Wars name right there. Yeah, he's actually he's a senator from Utah. Um, but, but that being said, um, so my wife and I, we specifically involved ourselves. It's Orrin with two R's. I think so. <laughs> we specifically invo involved ourselves in our children's education, not only in being uh, in contact with their teachers, um, but also in uh, debriefing. Mm-hmm and being aware of what was going on in class and talking about some of the things that were being done in class and how those things either complemented or were in contrast to what scripture had to say in regard to who we are as individuals. So it is possible to do it, but what, but what it takes is that when you get home from work and you know your children have been gone to school all day, you can't just uh, set them in front of the TV and, and try to shut it off and unwind. Mm -hmm. You have to be actively participating. Well, and that is the case. Uh, that's the case across the board, like, in relationship. But, yeah, it, it especially becomes an issue when you start <laughs> dealing with more than just your wife. Yeah. Or your husband or whatever. You know, you come home from work and, and you just want to, like, veg. It's like, that's not... Nope, that that day's done. Yeah, unfortunately, and 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 so many many parents simply um, negate that responsibility and 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 just kind of throw their hands up. Now, in all fairness, there are some subjects that I clearly would throw my hands up. I'm not a math guy, mm -hmm. so I could never help my children <laughs> with with math because in my world, two plus two equals four right but if have, have you ever tried modern math oh my goodness they want to do all kinds of gyrations to get to the answer and it's like no nah, i can't do that i heard that i heard that that type of math is uh like common core is what you're thinking of. yeah i, yeah. I heard that common core is going away because people don't understand it i hope it does but i don't know that's crazy so yeah so the point being that as believers we have a responsibility to involve ourselves um, and to be aware of what's being taught, particularly because it is through the school system, and we spoke about this earlier, it is through the school system that, the, that these uh, specialty groups have gotten in and have begun to uh, educate or re-educate our, our children, as it were, in, uh, into their way of thinking. So, so for example... Um, Within the last probably 20 years, there, have been, there has been a, um, a persistent effort by the uh, homosexual and like communities 
to redefine the family. Oh, redefinition of family was like back in the nineties. Well, but they're still they still work on it. They now it's now it's now it's redefinition of uh, sex and sexuality, gender. right? Yeah, sex and it's gender. Like it's an identity redefinition. But yeah. yeah, there's there's always been agendas, and I you know it's not it's not so much that agendas are the problem, because people always have agendas. That's how you push something through. It, like it has to be there. But it used to be that agenda was you know for the sake of for instance, learning, and you sort of had this uh, concept of, you sort of had this concept that came out of the Enlightenment era, which is fairly, there's a lot of reasons that you could say is anti-Christian, um, but you had this sort of concepts that came out of the Enlightenment era of, of truth, beauty, freedom, love that's founded in human beings, and out of that era came uh, all sorts of things like Darwinism, like um, eventually Dewey and his, you know, his reform and taking, taking, uh, finding, finding the beauty of things in, in humanity rather than in God. And I think that that's, that's really what the issue is. I think that agendas that use uh, an atheistic um, system like the public education system uh, makes sense because that's the natural outworking it's just a conduit. It's like you know, it's 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 part of the 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 food system, or the what's it called, the the circle of life, um, right. when you're using right. that system. So I think the problem is not necessarily agendas. It's it's what the system is trying to accomplish. Like ultimately, that system, the public education system, is about understanding self and our relationship to ourselves. Yes, and and this is a a this is a very important issue for those of you who have children, and for those of you who are going through the process of trying to raise them. There are so many. You know, the, the world was was way simpler when I was a child. They, I mean, they they were yeah. They didn't even have television they, they or radio. Uh, yeah, they had television, Josh. But it was black and white though. And it was one. Yeah, it was black and white. Um, <laughs> But but uh, they didn't have uh, all of the influences as well, and then when our children were when my wife and our, our children were growing, Rose's children and mine were growing up, there were there were influences, but we maintained such a tight control that it wasn't as difficult for well, us. Well, it was easy to do because the influences were so small right. in terms of yeah. And I was. Um, my my expertise and field of study was particularly in that area. Well, and when I say it was easy to do, it should also be noted that it was still something that people didn't do. Right. And I think that that's the case across the board. Y like the ruffians of society, there's always those parents who don't do it because it's just easier. Well, it's a lot of work. To not do it. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Not easier in the long run but easier in the short term. So we're going to bring you a new topic next week, that uh, stuff that's going on in the news, and we'll discuss that. But, but uh, we just want to say that this is something that is ongoing. If you have small children and you're wrestling with how do you raise them, how do you uh, educate them, we're not, we're not advocating or saying that you can't send your children to public school if you can't afford private or you don't have the ability to homeschool or do those things. 
but you definitely need to involve yourself in that process if you intend to uh, to use that as a vehicle to for your children to be educated. Yeah, I think I alluded to it earlier when I said that the public education system is about exploring self. The original education systems in the West, you know, were established specifically at post-Christianity were established specifically so that we could learn about God. The idea is is that God is a God of order, and so because he's a God of order, you can explore creation with the assumption that it's orderly. Right. And so that includes the building of knowledge because we have a law of induction that allows us to assume order. And with that, you gain skills that are useful for society and so on and so forth. When we took that away, then everything became disordered and it, it's becoming a free-for-all. So I think um, my admonishment there in terms of the education of your children would be if you teach them not to discover self but to discover God, God yes. then they will discover self. And that's what you need to focus on in education. It's okay for them to learn what what the the state teaches it's not okay for that to be their end goal yeah it's not okay for them to assume the end goal because really again uh, i think vody bacham said it you send your children off to rome and then you wonder why they become romans <laughs> you go <laughs> you know like mm. you got to learn the method it's okay to learn the method but that can't be your goal because ultimately what they're doing is serving caesar there and caesar's teaching them to serve themselves all right so we're going to end this uh this segment there and let's close uh, let's close our, uh, close our time together today with uh, what's up with that well I you know we're getting into springtime and it's uh, it's an important uh, time of the year and many of you uh, that are boaters out there um, uh, you're starting to get your rigs out and wash them off and get them ready to uh, put into the water. Wait, people and wash their boats to put them in the water? They should. They should clean them, any debris off of the keel and, and all that. Okay. that's. <laughs> you can understand my conf- – it's like when people make the bed to go to bed. Sure. Why Why would you? Yeah. Yeah. No. Anyway. Okay. So um, – I'm not a boater, so whatever. This is kind of a public service announcement to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, when you um, – okay, there's a particular way that you're supposed to put your boat into the water. And, and uh, what you've got is you've got your, your truck or car, normally a truck, but you've got your truck or car hooked up to the boat, and then you've got a trailer, and the boat sits on the trailer. You're supposed to back the, um, the trailer just, just enough into the water so that you've got enough – water so that you can float the boat off of the trailer uh, and and get it that way. This is on one of those docks. Now, that now you drive yeah, down. Okay. right, right, okay. the drivable deal there. Now the thing that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to check and see how how far back you can make that to happen. Yeah. Uh, if you're careless, however, uh, it can become a disaster and in uh, in Hamilton County, Tennessee, uh, this poor guy lost his boat, his trailer, and his truck into the river because he didn't check those things, and the boat ramp had a sharp drop-off, 
and he and drove dragged his, it back. He drove his truck uh, right off the back of that ramp. So he didn't stop with just the trailer going back, but he backed his truck up far enough into the water that he couldn't control it. That the gravity just pulled him. Yep, pulled he back lost. Down. That's crazy. Yep. But he got out. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't hurt, but his his uh, trailer the the trailer and boat were fine, but uh, yeah. the truck was destroyed. So they recovered the vehicles. And oh everything yeah, they got them. Yeah, they just chilled them out. That's crazy. So public service message. <laughs> Ideally, remember we talked about the ideal here. Ideally, you should have at least two people mm. when you launch a boat, so that you can have somebody guide you and make sure you're doing it good. If you're doing it with just one person. You need to be very careful that you do not have anything uh, enter the water uh, except for that trailer. That guy must have felt real dumb. <laughs> I think that they have. Um, I bet his. Uh, I, I bet his buddies back in Tennessee. Were, yeah, real making <laughs> fun of him. Yeah, I. I think when I was in Hawaii, I s so when I was in Hawaii, we went manta ray uh, watching. Yeah. Manta ray watching. Man, I got so seasick. Anyway. But the there was a giant boat ramp that we sat we sat on for a while waiting for the crew before us to come in, and they I think they had grooves or something like that like bumps yeah, to, to let to you know. To let you know, yeah. So like, do they is that not a standard feature or something? Uh, a lot of people, if it's an older boat ramp, no. Okay. That's only a new concept. All right. All righty. So, um, hey, here's another interesting one. You know, in the state of uh, Florida. Now, I'm sure they have this in every state, but in the state of Florida, uh, in 2021, there were over 500 license plates um, that were rejected, uh, vanity plates, mm -hmm. because of some of the things that people wanted to put on their vanity plates. So by rejected, you mean that somebody sent in a thing saying, I want this, and then the state said no? Either the state said no and or people complained about it. Okay. Because they saw the oh, plates. Oh, they got, like, revoked? Yeah, yeah. They, they, Interesting. they saw the plates and turned them in and said, that ain't right. That why ain't do right. people, like, uh, why do people do that? Well, here are some examples of, of things. expression. Yeah, here are some examples of things that were rejected. So somebody wanted to put on their license plate, T. Bundy. <laughs> That's not <laughs> because, or, of, because of Ted Bundy? Yeah, 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 yeah. What? Or how about... Why uh, did that get rejected? Or, or what if that person's name is legitimately like, you know, uh, uh, Terry? Terry or Bundy or like... Or how about... Theodore. Um, oh, Theodore's Ted. Maybe. How about fart? <laughs> F F come on. Yeah, come Everyone on. loves a good fart joke. Or how about... And uh, the other people are liars. Or how about 2020 WTF? <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, whiskey Tango Fox Trot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, forever 69? Okay. <laughs> what, what if the person's 69? What if that's their, like, projected age? Or uh, dr drug man? Okay. That yeah. that one. That's a little, yeah. That's I don't know. What if you're a pharmacist? I, or, uh, or I fart. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the, uh, or, or. Nuts. <laughs> uh, okay, the last one, be nasty. <laughs> Does it, here's my question. If they don't 
because I know you got to pay for vanity plates. Yeah. If they reject it, does it cost you anything? Uh, probably they give you an option to put a different one <laughs> since you already. Well, paid. I'm just saying. I think that would be a really cool reject. Like that'd be a cool art project is to get a bunch of rejection notices of like just crazy <laughs> ones. You know, like even like a coffee book. I think it'd be fun to do like a coffee book of like rejection notices for, <laughs> of like for vanity, vanity plates. plates. <laughs> I think that'd be a pretty fun coffee book. Well, it could, it could I'd read it. It could be. It could be an an art display at the Met. Yeah, totally. Yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, if it doesn't cost you anything, because they don't care whether things are offensive there or not, you know. They just well, yeah. I mean, I think that that's. I understand it's the state, and so theoretically, it's their like. They have the right, in theory, to decide what is on it. But come on, if you bought those plates, I I think it's weird. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's let's <laughs> let's close our time together with this. Hey, you know, there's an off-Broadway play mm -hmm. in uh, New York that is uh, that is called uh, Perfect Crime. Okay. And they had to shut down the uh, the play mm -hmm. because <laughs> somebody stole <laughs> all the copper fitting <laughs> oh from the basement. <laughs> 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 so that the the plumbing for the for stolen they couldn't do the play because there was no water because <laughs> the terrible <laughs> it it was the perfect crime <laughs> but it's not the perfect crime the perfect crime <laughs> is the crime that you get away with i mean that's funny and it's a crime yeah but yeah, the perfect I, crime I is, the, great. is the crime you get away with that nobody knows even happened yeah that's the perfect crime okay yeah i agree with you but, but i I thought it was funny. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Surprisingly, I don't know about you, but for me, it went really fast. Um, Josh, take us out of here. Okay. <laughs> I'm. Oh, okay. I see what's happening. I'm just looking at comments. Uh, yeah. People really liked the I fart plate. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, it's just uh, the producers are publishing stories as opposed to fielding comments anyway i'm kidding there's no comments there it's just i don't anyway that's weird okay uh so if you're someone <laughs> if you're someone who is seeking answers and you want to know more about your faith or if you're new to jesus christ in the bible check out our uh our website abfpdx.org this show the truth time with pastor monty podcast is a resource of aletheia bible fellowship of portland oregon and uh, we are a member of what's called the VRN, our Vigilance Radio Network, uh, which is ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at large. If you're one of those who's enjoyed this service, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast, which you can find always in ABF's various places, the YouTube page, the Facebook, so on and so forth. So take a second to do that so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. Remember that this content is shared every Tuesday at 11 a.m. I'm Pastor Josh, your co-host and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lathea Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the...